0: On February 16th, 2016, Jeff Boot went missing. His absence, as far as we can tell, was first noted by a co-worker, Steve Q. He hadn't shown up for a gig they'd booked together, which was, according to Steve, irregular. But not, apparently, called the cops level irregular. He let his bosses know and then went back to work alone. The search proper, if you could call it that, began two days later and was prompted by a call from Jeff's landlord. Eventually, the police found Jeff Boot's body lying at the bottom of a concrete culvert. Someone killed him. No one knows who, or why, and no one seems to care. Except me. I'm Mike Collingwood, and you're listening to Who Killed Jeff Boot? Okay, so I'm getting out of my car. Uh, now, I uh, guess I'm gonna die. If I uh, left my computer on, all of the pictures of the women in the leotards is uh, to do with leotard research. I'm interested in leotard history, um, different leotard issues. Hey, you coming or not, Vato? Yeah, one sec. In the 18 months I've spent investigating Jeff Boot's death, I've spent a not insignificant amount of time thinking about the two days between Steve noting Jeff's absence to HBC Brass and the police beginning their so-called search. What did Steve feel then? Did he try and reach Jeff? Did he wonder and worry? And did he fail to reach him and want to escalate? Was he afraid to? I have a memory, one I've returned to again and again. Cooking dinner in my apartment, mule frite. Mussels and fries, trying to impress a woman, wanting to communicate to her that I was a guy who could just, you know, cook mussels and fries, that that was in my remit. Hey, you want mussels and fries? Hell, I can do that easily. Using my techniques. I'd never done it before. I'd never cooked fries before. And I lit the big pot of fry oil on fire and panicked and yelled. The woman, backing away from both me and the fire, bouncing from one foot to the other. I looked at her and shouted, Don't pour water on it! She wasn't going to. She gave me a look like she was humoring a particularly stupid and highly agitated child. She was already out of the kitchen, her hand on the front doorknob. Proud, at least, that I'd remembered what not to do, I began throwing ineffective handfuls of salt into the fire. Nothing. As I rummaged around for a cookie sheet, I remember, I began to hear the smallest sound. Tappity. I put the cookie sheet on the pot and the flames vanished under it, and I looked out into my apartment hallway. I saw her tapping, tapping on the glass emergency fire extinguisher box with its attached metal striker, gently so as not to have to commit to breaking the glass, to not have to make the decision to transition from mild fry-oil difficulty to actual emergency. There's a feeling, I think, that an emergency doesn't become one until labeled so. I wonder if that's how Steve Cube felt. Or maybe, to him, Jeff Boot was just another voyageur, like all the rest, and he just bailed. Which happens now, I understand. Bailing. But then again, it wouldn't have mattered either way. By the time she would have gotten the fire extinguisher out, even if she'd wailed on that sucker, I'd smothered the flames. By the time Steve Cube would have called the cops, Jeff Boot was already dead. You can't unbreak glass. So can I just leave my car there? Yeah, it's fine, Vato. Nobody's going to fuck with your ride, man. Once HR gets you onboarded, you'll get a parking pass, and then you can use one of the lots in the back. HR? Got to talk to HR, Vato. You're here to work, right? Uh, yeah, right. My name's Sheldon, dog, by the way. A pleasure, Sheldon, dog. Um, I'm Mike. It's just Sheldon, Vato. Yeah, you fucking with me. Hang tight, I say. I'll Let him know you're here. The first real lead I'd gotten had taken me to Thompson Basketball Manufactory. I'd come intending to discuss my unhappiness with one of their basketballs, which had blown up under what I considered fairly normal-ish basketball circumstances. It took some work to find it, but that didn't raise any suspicions with me. I think factories are one of those, if you need to know where it is, you'll know where it is, types of places. After all, the place where they make Airfuckers Blu rays, where they produce Airfuck films where men and women jump out of planes and birdfuck each other in the clouds, doesn't have a big neon Airfuckers Industries sign on the door. Just a small metal one that says Diamond Elite Productions, Incorporated. Nonetheless, I wasn't prepared at all for Thompson Basketball Manufacturing. It seemed less a place of industry than a lazaretto, a monolith of death. As I watched, Sheldon approached the blank, grave-dark wall of the factory, uncleated a tarry rope, and began to let it sing through his fingers. I stood back and looked up to see what weight descended and saw coming down a great horn, a hollow black tusk, banded about with rings of some dark metal. Tin or lead or iron, I'm not a metal genius. As I watched, Sheldon put his lips to it and blew. (laughs) Damn, that shit loud as fuck, right? Okay, you good from here, S.A., I'll catch you later. Okay. Sheldon, man or apparition, who had strode silently to greet me when I'd arrived, pointed to a blank, black space on the featureless factory wall, and then vanished. In retrospect, I think he went back behind the corpse shed to smoke, but at the time, my attention was so riveted to that black, grumbling wall but I must have just not noticed him leaving. As I watched, a blindingly white crack appeared in the factory's facade, and the wall rapidly resolved itself into a door. An aperture, at least. And standing in it, neatly dressed in pressed coveralls over a collar and tie, was some kind of, I assumed, HR person. Hell's administrative assistant. I'm Devon. Hi, Devon. My name's Mike... Shall we? Collingwood. He beckoned me in, impatiently. I shuddered as I crossed the boundary, separating the blasted concrete of the parking lot into the disorientingly bright white hallway into the factory proper. The HR person extended a hand. I'm HR. I'm somehow all of HR until Marge gets back from Costa del Sol. God, what I wouldn't give her a margarita right now. I didn't have you down. I didn't have anyone down for this. Yeah, I, I probably should have called. It's fine, though. I mean, we're always in need of more grist for the mill, as it were. Especially since the copier sabotage gambit reprisals. Ah, Here we are. Come on in. Have a seat Thanks You're here for, I assume, labor? I I'm um, Not uh, management? I mean, I don't mean anything by it I'm neutral, you understand Neutral, HR is neutral, neutral, neutral All incoming workers are distributed fairly It's just because you don't have a briefcase Oh, right Of course I didn't think you meant anything by it I'm, like you said, labor Right You can start right now, I assume. We've still got Peacehorn for another probably five, so you can get down to the lockers and get dressed before it all starts up again. I'll, um, I'll follow up with the paperwork in the morning. It'll be fine. I'm tempted now in putting together these recordings and narrating my own life as I'm doing to try and inject that moment with some gravitas, to imply I considered, to imply I even noticed that I'd gone from boy detective undercover secret agent but that would be wrong i hadn't i just let myself be pulled along i could flatter myself in a charming small way and even imply that i played dumb and let myself be shepherded to the locker room as some kind of instinctive detective-ish pose of brainless simplicity say i'd had a hunch say i had a gut feeling But in truth, the only gut feeling I had was diarrhea. I was just brainless, struck dumb. By Devin and his sparkling white office. Featureless, save for two basketballs on plinths. One marked labor and one marked management. See, kid? It ain't enough to be good. You also gotta be lucky. Not like this poor son of a gun. Wow. As I looked around the dark labor locker room, holding a folded coverall, I did not remember Detective Sharp's number five maxim. That would come later. So I guess, um, I guess I work here now. Hey, how's it going? Oh, hey, hi. Uh, can I just put You're a new my new guy? You come to the Peace Horn just now. Yeah. Yeah, put your shit in there. Yeah, it's fine. That used to be Malish's, but he caught it by the microwave, the dirty fuckers. Oh, okay. Should I... You better hurry up. Mike. Mike Collingwood. I'm Caparzo. Estehazy sent me to come get you, take you to Bladder 9. But beat your fucking feet already. Your peck is pink, same as your face. I've seen all of them. Any hesitancy I had getting naked evaporated in the face of Caparzo's odd-seeming intensity. My pecker was as pink as my face. He was right, and if there was anything strange about it, Caparzo didn't mention it, as I slipped into my new Thompson labor coverall. He walked me to my station, bladder nine, and gave me a quick rundown. I was to take bladders, the black vulcanized rubber spheres that hold the air inside a basketball, and test that there were no gross irregularities. I was to take a bladder from a bin, inflate it to 4 PSI, which happened inside a spherical, clear plexiglass chamber that would in theory reveal the oddness of, say, an ovoid bladder. And if it was good, I would put it in another bin. If I rejected it, it was to be put in a third. After another horn blast, I'd gotten to work. It was satisfying. Reach. Inflate. Deflate, talk. Reach, inflate, deflate, talk. By the sixth or seventh bladder, I had the hang of it and I began to take in the other bladdermen. After all, I thought I was there for information, not to earn a wage. Which, I suppose, is what saved my life. Hey, this is kind of uh, fun. This is, hey, uh, this is kind of fun. It's my first day. You, are, you guys are so fast with the uh, bladders. You can probably tell it's my first day. I'm not as fast uh, with the bladders. I'll get there though. Oh, this is cool. It's got an auto shut off. I didn't realize that. That's cool. Another great uh, Thompson basketball bladder for the bin. Approved. Anyway, so what, uh, what do you do when it doesn't shut off automatically? Yo. I've listened to the next few minutes of tape hundreds of times. Even though I can hear my voice, I have no memory of having spoken. In my memory of those minutes, I am mute. I can re-watch what happened whenever I like. All I have to do is close my eyes, and I can see Caparzo disintegrate, his head and his shoulder coming apart from his chest as a piece. But the only memory I have of having spoken is on this tape. Collingwood, listen to me. Listen very fucking carefully. Don't fucking touch that valve. Don't touch it! Caparzo! I got Grab the new guy. Ah. Fuck! No. Grab the new guy. Yeah, grab him. Get him there. No. Get him, person. Oh, my God. Caparzo. Oh my God. It's all right, pal. We're getting you to the medic. Jones, put two hot ones through marketing window. Cover us. On it. Caparzo! Caparzo! He's gone, pal. He's gone. Caparzo! Jones, two more. McElhenney. Grab this guy's other arm. We gotta get him to ask Daisy. There was a... Lego piece stuck to my penis. I was making a spaceship. That's right, pal. You got Lego on your penis. It's gonna be alright. You stay with me. Tell me about that penis. Caparzo, he didn't think it was weird. He just thought my penis was normal. And pink. Caparzo! I say Hazy. The new guy just took a bladder burst. He's not leaking, I don't think. The lucky motherfucker. Caparzo copped it. He's gone. Macaliny Jones, come with me. We gotta make sure the fuckers aren't flanking us. Son, can you hear I me? I can't. I can't hear very well. What happened? Caparzo! The bladder I was inflating, it wouldn't shut off. Caparzo! Oh my god! Caparzo! Oh my yeah, god. Management sabotaged a bladder, Philip. You're safe here. Your pupils match. You'll be fine. They don't fuck with our medic office, we don't fuck with theirs. What? This damn war. What are you talking about? Maybe you are concussed. Look. I'm not supposed to be look, I'm not supposed to be here. I came because I dropped a basketball into a culvert and it blew up. I'm making a podcast. I thought it would be cool to have a podcast. Jeff Boots brain came Get a out. Get hold of yourself, man! Ow! Fuck! Did you not read your paperwork? Did Marge and HR not go over the paperwork with you? Marge is in Casa del Sol. Devin said he'd do my paperwork in the morning. Jesus fucking Christ. Do you... You're a civilian? Yes, I'm regular. That's what I've been trying to tell you. I'm not even a checkie. Management tried to kill a civilian. Do you know what this means? Fucking... No. I'd come to understand and quick. Esther Hazy explained. In following a clue related to Jeff Boot, I'd walked into a protracted war inside the Thompson basketball manufactory, between labor and management, between owner Earl Thompson and the shop steward Bert Hospodar and their armies. No one, save the two generals in their hideouts, knew how or why it had started. But it didn't look like it was going to end anytime soon. The soldiers, managers, and leather darners, died or were maimed, and according to Esterhazy, as long as equal numbers from each side were liquidated, it was a good place to work. He explained that the place was always fully staffed by workers recruited by temp agency staff and MBA program faculty that could recognize a certain look in the eye and were happy to take a referral fee. Wages were high and benefits comprehensive and life insurance paid out pronto. If you got an arm blown off, you'd wake up with a Rolex on your wrist. The one you had left, anyway. Esther Hazy was an IT grunt who had come by his work as a medic honestly, through a lot of Googling. And he golfed in Palm Heavens eight weeks a year, on the company's dime. This was a place of death and business. I put two and two together and realized I'd somehow bought one of the basketballs with which this war was waged. Basketballs that were overinflated to the point of lethality. Some foobar snafu in shipping. The week before, a labor spy had caged a smoke from a new hire an MBA fresh at a Queens, and learned that management was throwing a birthday party for her later that afternoon in conference room B. Labor operatives had rolled four Thompson specials in and closed the door. They redecorated the room with her and four of her management friends. Her boyfriend got a PS5, a pair of autographed LeBrons, and a check for 900 large. The health and safety crew that showed up from the government got the cold bamboozle. Mouthpieces from labor and management claimed everything was a workplace accident same as it ever was ain't no world without war but me me being there half fragged without signed paperwork that was a monkey wrench i was getting used to that feeling hr was from a week into the war neutral whether by choice or not them two basketballs i'd seen in devon's office they were rigged to explode and each a labor and management had their own trigger call it reinforced neutrality but neutral or not, HR wasn't part of the union. And neutral or not, that meant management had to deal with this. To deal with me. This had never happened before. This was a real fuck up. To hear Hazy tell it, this was also an opportunity. This could get Thompson to come out of whatever office he was hiding in. This was a real problem for management. This was a chance to end the war forever. Which is how I ended up face-to-face with Thompson Basketball Manufactory's head cheese, Earl Thompson, with a screw-filled micro-dunker-type kid's basketball grenade taped up under my armpit. Now I was the monkey wrench. Why your dick so small? Cut the bitch gave you blue balls. Uh, please come in. Why Have a seat. So uh, hang yeah. on. Let me get that. The bitch gave you huh. So, can I get you a drink? Uh. Sure. HR is nine miles up my ass about liquor on the premises, but I think you'd agree they have other things to worry about today. Joanna, get this man a drink. The McAllen 18. Ah, thanks. Wow. It's, um, (laughs) Petey. So anyway, um... Sorry, uh, you go ahead. Okay. I just wanted to mention, off the hop, that um, I have a micro-dunker basketball grenade taped under my armpit. We know. Oh, uh, okay. I'm not here to kill you. This we also know. I, Do you know what, uh, if you would be so good as to relieve this man of his micro-dunker... Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. You know a third thing too. Thanks. You hear about Jeff Booth? Uh, that's right. My basketball exploded. I can't help you with right now. Okay. I've got a war to win. If we can get our hands on that motherfucker, hospital, this whole thing would be over in the time it takes me to wring a fucking neck. The things I could do if I could just run a business without guts and brains and balls flying yeah, through the sounds, fucking air. Uh, that sounds rough. Um, can I ask you something? Um, you've got enough money coming in, obviously, right, uh, to pay both sides of the war. Yeah, the Raptors' win was big for us. Why, uh, is the war... That is an old question. Joanna, would you please go and get ready? Yeah, scooch your little badooch, please and thank you. My assistant, more than that, really, my right hand. Studied at the U of T Toulouse School of Business. Smart as a whip. So, you ask me, what happened? No one over there knows. No one over here knows. But I figure I can tell you, you're a civilian. I don't prefer to talk about it, but I figure I do owe you something for, you know, trying to kill you on the bladder station. I'll put it to you simply, Bert Hospital. Union man, shop steward, collective values. One hand reaches down, the other hand reaches up. They clasp each other in that grasp of brotherhood, and the guy on the top lifts the bottom guy, all that bullshit. Anyways, a man of beliefs, right? I haven't met him. (sighs) Of course not. No one over there has, except Esther Hazy. Hospitals holed up over there in the manufacturing side like a rat. Scuttering around at night, setting up a new HQ in a different office, a storage depot, over and over, and we can't draw a beat on him. He's like fucking air. Anyway, this man fucked my wife. Him and his ethics. He fucked my wife in midair, like a bird. I saw it. Online video. Sent anonymously. Here, I'll play it for you. That was Bert Hospital flying through the air, fucking my beautiful, beautiful wife. Bird fucking her. You ever seen the man and a woman flying through the air, fucking each other before? I didn't even know it was possible, but Bert did. So, yeah, I tried to kill him, and I almost did, too. I rigged a ball to explode. He was head of QC at the time, and it was simple. I was an engineer before all uh, this. Almost got him, too. Missed by a pussy hair. I fucked his face up, though. He bird-style fucked your wife. Yeah, that's right. And didn't he look magnificent? Not a ripple. He had to be moving 200 miles a fucking hour. Naked is a new morning. Everything's taut. Like Ah. Uh. That's all right, you can say it. If I tried to fly fuck a woman, I'd look like thrown soup. Shouldn't I enjoy steak and eggs? What purpose can I assign to a life of work when I wake up one morning and see a video of a lithe Hungarian sky my wife? So you see. Anyway, I guess he didn't half like me blowing his face up. And later that day, my CFO... God, I can't even remember his face. He worked here for 11 years. He started his car to go home to see his wife and his kids. But there was three basketballs underneath. Kaboom, kablooey. All she wrote, war. It was a beautiful car, s class I think. That's crazy, Um. so uh, anyway. Right, anyway, it's as they say, an internal matter. As for your Jeff boot, best of luck and sorry about the basketball you bought shipping department. The more of them I killed, the dumber they get, right? Here, take this. Don't worry, it's an export ball. Kawhi's signature edition. We have a shitload of them. We can't move. And that was it. I'd replaced my basketball. I'd followed the lead and found myself folding my tattered coverall in a labor war locker room. What did all of this have to do with Jeff Boot, I remember wondering as I took out the Lego piece that had fallen into my street gotchie's that morning. Caparzo hadn't blinked an eye. The things that man must have seen. No luck, huh? Nope. It Was worth a shot. Did they pat you down, probably. We had to try. So, you clocking out? Yeah. Listen, Esther Hazy. Um, this isn't for me. This whole war or whatever, Caparzo is uh dead. And do you even know why? Why? Do I know why I've watched six hundred of my friends die over the past nine years? Because it's war, man. No. That's why. It's no, that's not it. No. Thompson told me why. Why then? Look. It doesn't matter, man. The reason why never matters. You've been kind to me. Thank you. Good luck. That doesn't Esther Hazy bring the civilian to me now. see the look on Esterhazy's face, folks didn't hear Hospidar's voice too often around that factory. He looked at a speaker in the ceiling and then at me and took a rag out of his pocket and held it to me. Part of me wanted to just leave, to take my export kawaii signature ball on clock out and go home. I was sick of being other people's monkey wrench, sick of being used, sick of being a civilian, a nameless piece being moved around a board in a game whose rules I didn't understand. I thought about my apartment. My single dad divorced Guy Apartment, and I thought about all the choices I could make. An infinity of them. I could eat candy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I could put a 65-inch TV on the ceiling and watch people bird-fuck each other all night and eat candy. But the choices that matter, the real ones, I thought, I didn't get to make those. Jeff Boot didn't get to choose not to fly, falling, not fucking, to his death. And someone was going to have to pay for that. I took the rag, tied it around my eyes, and off I went to meet Hospidar. Thank you for seeing me. You'll pardon me if I don't offer you anything. My circumstances are unfortunate. Oh, that's okay. Huh. I can see my, uh, car from here. Thompson, um, called you a rat. Yes, on that he's not wrong. I skitter and scurry and hide. The janitorial staff move my few things to a new place, here or there. Every night I sleep under a new machine. This damn war, right? I want it over. I know we cannot win. They are too powerful. This Sending you in with a microdonker. I apologize. This would never have worked, but Esther Hazy, he is—how do you say it? A true believer, and you are not. A man tried to kill me. The man I work for. Ten years. He maims my face. What should I do? Lie down? No. I fight back. My men—they see what he do. And they fight back. We kill them. My father, Gregory, he said, Burt, you will see. You will be forced to take many things. A horse may kick your cousin in the head and retard her. Your mother, she gets spiders on her brain. What are you going to do? Nothing. You take it. Horses kick and spiders crawl, But you cannot take a man to spit on you. You must kill him. And then he wave a sword around his head and screech and dance around. It was this whole big, dramatic big deal. He was crazy. My uncle said he ate the guy in 1937. Whole guy over six months. But I remember what he said. I have been spit on. And this I cannot take. You did fuck his wife, though. That's kind of, uh, spitty. Action-wise. Rather than a-, a horse kick type of action kind of deal. Yes, this old lie. Mike, I say as a man to you, I never fuck any wife. Mr. Uh, look, I don't have any skin in this war. I don't care who wins. I just want to go home. But I saw it. What are you talking? He showed me a video of you fucking his wife. Nonsense. I saw it. He had a picture of her on his desk. You were fucking her bird style. Flying through the air. Caw. Caw. Eagle screech. Eagle screech. It was actually kind of beautiful. Flying through the the air. Flying through the air. No. No. It cannot be true. Uh Unless there all this time From where did you get that ball? What is that noise? I'll have to narrate the next few moments as the silence I captured on tape will not tell the tale. Hospidar looking at the export ball in my lap and getting up from his chair. Me looking at the ceiling trying to locate the noise I'd been hearing like someone dragging garbage through a pipe. Hospidar putting a finger to his lips, pointing to the ceiling, then at the ball. I look at the ball and notice the Kawhi logo, thick, pasted on. I peel the edge back. Underneath, I find some kind of device, thin, top the line tech, a tracking device. I'd led them right to him, always somebody's damn monkey wrench. I stand up and see hospital pull a screwdriver out of a coverall pocket and open a ventilation panel in the ceiling. It swings down. We both see the face of Joanna, Thompson's right hand. She'd poured me scotch. She's got a basketball. Hospodar looks away. He somehow looks away. He looks at me, and he speaks. Mike, you must find the photographer. Portland. For management! Bert Hospodar saved my life. I let myself be used by Earl Thompson. I took his story and his basketball and led them right to him, and the last thing he ever did after that was save my life. As Joanna dropped that ball, full of incipient chaos, Bert Hospital pushed me. I hit the window hard enough to break it, I remember that, but the force that blossomed out of Joanna's dropped ball pushed me through it, out into the air, surrounded by twinkling beautiful glass and hungry fire onto the tarmac below where I'd slid, smoking, to a stop. I'd scraped my penis even pinker. I looked back up at that broken window, now truly a portal into a fiery hell, and thanked Bert Hospodar. Because he didn't just save my life. He gave me a clue. I needed to find the photographer. I needed to find Portland. Please tune in in two weeks. For episode three of Who Killed Jeff Boot. All right, 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 because I'm the the Hi investigators, this is Geronimo, Mike's special computer assistant. Were you listening carefully as Mike described his investigation? I hope so. To get access to exclusive uncut material from the Jeff Boot investigation, make sure you subscribe on Patreon. But you don't have to. I'll see you next time, investigators. Maybe we'll find out who made Jeff Boots' brain come out.